Um, Do me a favor, open your Bibles up to Luke chapter 1. Place a marker there. And then flip over to Matthew chapter 1. Um, And those are the basic places where we're going to be. There's going to be some other scriptures going on today, but that's essentially where we're going to stay for this particular message today. Um, Such an interesting time uh, just to be to be here, to be, uh, to be in church, to be uh, in this country, to be in this crazy, crazy, crazy world that we live in. Um, but there, there's one thing that I hope we can stay focused on during this time, uh, this time of year is hope. You know, is hope. It's uh, uh, it's horrible to try to live without hope. Um, we can try to fake it till we make it, or try to get through something. But you know, if you don't have hope, then really, what are you trying to get through? What are you trying? What are you aiming for? What are you shooting for? Um. And as Christians, what we should be shooting for is the ability to stay hopeful and faithful no matter what's going on around us. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't make any difference what's going on in the world around us. What matters is what's going on in the world within us. And that's where Jesus comes in. Today we're going to be in part two of our Christmas series, A Promise, A Child, and A Choice. And today we're going to be talking about the child, um, or what I'm just going to call the miracle of Christmas. Uh, there's a ton of different ways we could go today, and I'm, I'm going to stay focused on just a couple of things today. I'm going to stay focused on two accounts of Jesus' birth and the, the, the miracles that are, are within them. And within our Bibles, we have two accounts of Jesus' birth. It's interesting, four Gospels, and only two of them record the birth of Jesus in any kind of detail. There's a third Gospel that I think does have an amazing contribution to it, but we're going to get to that in the end. And the two Gospels that record Jesus' birth are Matthew and Luke. And they give us some amazing details. Uh, and sometimes, I mentioned, like I mentioned last week, because they're so different, and because they say different things, sometimes we look at them and we think, well, this, this is unreliable, because if it was more reliable, they would say the same things. But that's actually not true. Sometimes we have to remember that Scripture was ma- written through the hands of man, but through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. Isn't that amazing? Stop and think about that for a second. Even with everything going on today, God knows what he's doing. He's fully aware of everything going on. When you stop and you pray in that moment and think, God, are you, do do you see this? God is never going, I am so glad you pointed that out. I missed that completely. No, he's completely aware of everything that's going on. So when the Holy Spirit is, in, is working through these two authors to write these Gospels, there's a reason why there's two different accounts. But there's still only one message. And that message is that Jesus stepped off the throne of heaven, out of eternity, became a man, all to fulfill a promise that his Father made to us to be the Messiah. I think it was Spurgeon who said the infinite became an infant. And that's the message. That's the, that's the idea behind this. The greatest truth in the story of Christmas is the simplicity within its message. It's not in the complex details, and there are a lot of complex details. It's in the simplicity of the message. The Father made a promise. The Son stepped out of heaven to fulfill it. And this is when it really began. Everything else was leading up to this moment. But the moment that first voice of the child crying in the darkness rang out. I almost think sometimes how the devil would have heard that. 
the first cry of the baby Jesus in the night. What did it sound like to us versus what did it sound like to him? To us, it's a miracle and a joy. To him, it was fear because he knew his time is now limited. God wasn't kidding. Neither of the gospel writers try to get cute with their story. They stay true to what God planted in their hearts. And they simply show us the power and the faithfulness of God. Now, Matthew's account focuses on Joseph. It mentions Mary a couple times, but Mary's not really a central piece in Matthew's account. It focuses on the father, which is funny because he's not the father. He's just the husband. And even before, and at that time, he wasn't even a husband yet. He's trying to figure out what's going on. But he focuses on Joseph and the fulfillment of prophecy around the birth of Christ. So now that's very interesting because Matthew was a Jew. That makes sense that he would focus on the male, because that was Jewish tradition, and the prophecies associated with the birth of Christ. It's kind of awesome. Now, we've already talked about, excuse me, we've talked about Bethlehem. We've talked about the virgin birth. We talked about the lineage of David a little, a little bit last week. But listen to this part in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. He says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And then Joseph, her husband, being a man, not wanting to make her a public example, he was minded to put her away secretly. He was going to divorce her. He didn't want want anyone to know that she had slept around. It's basically what the thought was. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And it goes on to talk about the birth in Bethlehem. So we have three prophecies immediately right there. The time, the date, and the circumstances. But there were some other prophecies that were going on at the same time that are equally as amazing. But we tend to just gloss over them as little details. Check this out in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Notice the detail there, the historic detail. We can go back and check all of those things. They're giving us time markers so we can go back and see. It says, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, Here's a question that we don't ask very often that I think is actually worth discussing. How many wise men showed up? Well, we always say three, right? The three wise guys, right? So we say three because there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we think like each brought a gift, but that's actually not what history tells us. History tells us it could have been more than a hundred. That's kind of cool. And the reason was the journey was very dangerous and you might get robbed or killed along the way. So the more that were with you, the better off you were. 
Now, the details of how many wise men were there are really irrelevant. We just know that they came. Now, the thing is, they came all the way from Persia into Judea chasing a star. What? So now think about this. These guys are in another whole part of the world. They see something in the sky. It's not there. It wasn't a bug light. They were like, oh, it's beautiful. It, it, it wasn't. That's not what it was. They knew what to expect because of the star that was in the sky. And you've got to ask the question, how did they even know this was going to happen? What was the point of this star? Now, we knew that magi is what they were more commonly called back then, were astronomically minded. They liked to see the sky. They liked to observe the stars. And they did that without modern telescopes, by the way. They did that with, with the human eye. It's pretty amazing what they were able to chart back then just by paying attention to the sky. They would have known when a new star arrived. Now, you think about this. It wasn't just a star that suddenly got brighter. It was a new star. It was a light that was not there before. And suddenly it's there. And not only did they see it, they knew what it meant. And the reason that they knew what it meant is because the Magi were one of two types of people. And we don't often, often hear this. We know that they were from a foreign land. But did you know that the Magi coming from Persia may have actually been Jews? Because before the temple was rebuilt, the Jews were in captivity in that part of the world during the time of Daniel. So when the Jews came back into the, into the Holy Land, some of them stayed and they were actually there for so long that the people in that area would have gotten accustomed. The wise men, the knowledge seekers in that area would have been looking into the Hebrew prophecies because the Hebrew God had a legend. He was known for coming through in a pinch and he was known for wreaking havoc on nations that he wasn't pleased with. So they would have known the Hebrew prophecies. And during the time of Daniel, they would have also known the 70-week prophecy that we've talked about so many times over the last few weeks. And it's very possible that they would have worked out that 483, 490-year time frame that we talked about. I won't get into the details. Go back and listen to some of the previous messages, and you'll understand what I mean by that. So they could have worked this out. So these wise guys not only knew what the star was, they knew what it represented. And one of the reasons they knew what it represented it's because of a prophecy in Numbers chapter 24. It says, see, I see him, but not now. Listen to this. Behold, I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. And better the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of tumult. Now, prophecies like this, no one really knows if this is figurative language or literal, literal language. But there's a group of people that you know are looking for the literal interpretation. And these wise men would have been paying attention if they worked out the timetable and they knew that it could possibly be a star. Suddenly a star appears in the sky and they're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is appearing right when it's supposed to. And by the way, it's leading us from Persia to Israel. That's cool. We should follow this. This may be the foretold king of the Jews. Now, we don't necessarily know what star they were, they were, they were looking at, but here's a really cool piece of historical detail. Um, in the quarterly journal of the Royal Astronomical Society, volume 32 for anyone who wants to look it up, in 5 BC, 
Chinese astronomers made a note. I want you to think about this. I can't tell you that this is exactly what happened, but this is pretty cool to me. Chinese astronomers made a note that in the night sky, for a period of time, they spotted a slow-moving comet. Now, a slow-moving comet a moving comet can be in the sky for a very long time. Some comets are just, and they're just gone. But they made a point to note it. It was a slow-moving comet, meaning it was there day after day after day. The Chinese could see it in the night sky. Now, the Magi followed a star. You don't travel at night. You travel during the day. Now, it has been researched and it has been tracked that this particular comet because of the direction it was going in and how slow it was going it would have been visible every morning in persia leading to israel that's kind of cool now i can't tell you that's what they followed but i find it very amazing that a footnote from an astronomical paper in China may have possibly been ordained by the Holy Spirit so that we would know that God knew we were looking. Someone made note of it. I find that to be pretty cool. And the Chinese astronomers would have had no idea the eternal significance of what they just made a note of. Hey, slow-moving comet in the sky. Next. And the Holy Spirit saying, thank you. We'll get back to that later. find that to be pretty cool. Now that comet would have, been very, would have been there for a long time. And every morning when the Magi would have gotten up, they would have seen it and it would have been directing them where they needed to go. And the cool thing is because the comet's moving, every time they got a further distance away, it would still be there guiding them in the right direction. It's just really cool. God works out some amazing things. Now, Luke's account of the birth of Christ switches gears. Luke focuses on Mary and on some of the disconnected stories associated with the birth of Christ. Now, I find it very interesting that the Hebrew focuses on the man and the prophecy, and the Gentile focuses on the woman and the other stories. This gives me a lot of faith in the Holy Spirit. He wants us to have all the details. Some of the stories you might not be familiar with, how many of you are familiar with the priest Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth? They're mentioned just very briefly. But Zacharias was a priest in the temple and his wife Elizabeth was pregnant with someone significant. We'll get to that in a second. And they knew Mary and Joseph. Now Zacharias actually lost his voice during the pregnancy. And right after the baby was born, he got his voice back when he agreed to call the baby John. Even though all of his relatives were like, we don't have anyone in our family named John. Don't call him John. That's slang for toilet. It's not what they said, but it's funny. Just trying to see who's awake. Some of you are going, he did. did. I I can't believe he did that. It was nothing the family wanted, but God had spoke to him. This is what you're going to name this child. And when the wife said, This is what we're calling the child. He gets his voice back. Now, the cool thing is, Mary came to visit Elizabeth. And when she did, Mary was pregnant. The baby inside Elizabeth, we're told, jumps for joy and fills Elizabeth with the Holy Spirit. 
Because the baby inside her knew he was connected to the baby inside Mary. See, the baby inside Elizabeth would eventually be known as John the Baptizer. Kind of cool. Listen to the prophecy that Zacharias gives after getting his voice back and his child is born. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go, listen to this, he's talking to his child. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. To give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God with which we, uh, with, excuse me, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Zacharias and Elizabeth knew Mary and Joseph were pregnant with the Messiah. They not only knew who the Messiah was, they knew who the voice crying in the wilderness was. Even John, when he got older, he never referred to himself as the chosen one. He referred to him as the one going before to prepare the way of the king. He knew exactly who he was. Humble from the very beginning. We know that a census is ordered. It's a pretty awesome detail to throw in because we can check history books for that. And guess what? It's there. We get the story of the baby in a manger. As they come to Bethlehem, in Jewish tradition, it would have been very uncommon to not give a pregnant woman in the process of birth a home to deliver in. It would have been very uncommon for them. It would have been unhospitable. But we find Mary and Joseph in a barn, which really was just nothing more than a cliff next to a plane. It really wasn't a barn like we would look at it. And the bassinet, the the, the manger that he was laid in, was probably a stone, a cold granite or limestone trough that had just been hewn out with a little hay in it. This talks to me about the humility of God. And really the purity of his purpose. See, one of the questions that I get from time to time is if God wants us to believe in him, why does he do things so secretly? Uh, Why not just get it out? Why not just show everybody who he is? Why not just display his power? Why all the cloak and dagger stuff? Why all the secrecy? Why this faith stuff? Why not just prove yourself to be God and we'll follow you? I get this question pretty often. And it sounds logical until you understand the purposes of God. There is a difference between a life of selfless, willful faith 
and a life of compliance. And just think about that. There is a difference between selfless, willful faith, loving faith, and compliance. So we have two golden, uh, golden retrievers at home, Satchel and Archie. Satchel's about 11 years old. He's fat. He doesn't care. He's just happy. And then there's Archie. Archie's a fun dog. He has moments. Satchel loves unconditionally. He just wants you to be happy with him. He doesn't want you to be upset. It's like if he thinks you're upset, he's like, he knows. He's like, I'm so sorry. I don't even know what I did, but I'm sorry. <laughs> if I lay down, will he just scratch my belly? Will that make it better? He's, he just wants to be, he wants to be there with you. Archie, for Archie, we have what is known as an electronic training device. See, Archie will comply when enough influence is directed towards him, especially if he's outside. If he's inside, he'll do anything I say pretty much all the time because he knows he's inside. He can't get anywhere. Outside, he barely acknowledges my existence unless I have something to eat, and then he's all about it. And whenever he wants, whenever I want him to come in, he doesn't want to come in. All I have to do is go inside, get the controller of the aforementioned device, and walk outside and hold it. And all I can do is say, Archie. He looks up, his head goes down, he begins to walk inside as slowly as his four little feet will take him. See, Satchel just wants to be loved and wants to love you back. Archie will comply. You see, God is not after compliance. Compliance is not love. Compliance is not faith. Compliance is actually fear. All compliance is fear-based. All compliance. Whether it be you thinking about losing your job, doesn't matter. It's all fear-based. You'd have to be dead to not see our government using that against us over the last couple of years. It's all fear-based. Now, loving faith has no fear. It's actually selfless. It gives without thinking. It doesn't even need recognition. It's just happy to be there. That is what God is after for us. God made the choice to come into this world in the quiet of the night. No fanfare, no parties, no newspapers declaring the Messiah has arrived. See, because if God would have declared himself in all of his power, what was supposed to be a choice of free will would have turned into a theocracy or religious tyranny at best. And the Jews were actually waiting for this. It's actually what they wanted. But it's not what God wanted. God wanted a choice. He wanted to give you the option 
We had the option in the very beginning in the garden to walk away, and God wants to give us the option to walk back. That's the whole point. That night, there was just mom, dad, a baby, and a few confused animals. Wanted to know where that little thing's hair was. But the funny thing is, the angels of heaven, although Jesus was not going to be announced to the world, I think they had a different idea. You know, they weren't going to tell the world, but man, they were going to tell someone. They were going to do something. So they picked a couple of shepherds out in the middle of a field who no one was probably going to believe. And they decided to declare the coming of the king. In Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, it says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven. I love this part because I'm trying to imagine what they look like. The shepherds said to one another, think we should go to Bethlehem? Sheep are going to be fine. I think we should go into the city. I mean, just, you know, I'm feeling as though God wants us to go into the city and find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Call me crazy. <laughs> I don't know how many a heavenly host is, but it doesn't make any difference. Angels appeared before these guys singing their face off that the Lord had arrived. I want you to think about this. The devil ruled this world for a long time, for a long time. And he knew what God had promised mankind. And so on one side of the coin, you have the baby in a manger crying out into the darkness, and you get the, dev the devil is going to hear that. It wasn't just angels that were there. The power of the darkness was still there watching this happen. And while they're there trying to figure out what's going on, the host of heaven suddenly appears to these people and they can see it because they're in the same spiritual space that they're in. And they see it. It's kind of like the angels standing around going, guess what? You've lost. And we're going to sing about it. It probably sounded amazing. but I bet it didn't sound amazing to them. I want you to think about this. Unlike us, angels are eternal beings. The angels have been watching humanity since day one. The angels have been watching humanity since day one. They watched God speak the world into existence. They watched as God said, let there be, and it was. They saw all this happen. They saw God forming man in his hands and breathing life into his body. They saw the rib come from his side and the woman be formed. They saw the garden. They saw God interacting with, with this life in a way that God had never interacted with them. We had a choice. We have an option to serve that they've never had. They've watched all this happen. And they watched 
our fall into sin. They watched the expulsion from the garden. They've watched through the centuries mankind's achievements. And they've watched the horrors of our wars. They watched God speaking to Noah and the ark being built. And they watched the floodwaters rain over the earth, proving God's judgment was not a joke. They watched the promise given to Abraham and the nation. They watched the Israelite nation being built. They watched the promise coming in. They heard all the prophecies before we even understood them. And then they watched as Mary gave birth to our Savior. Do you think for a second that they were going to stay quiet in that moment? They weren't going to stay quiet. They had to get something out. Now they've watched for two thousand years they've watched us respond to that that's both joyful and terrifying to me because they know all that we don't they've seen all of it they know what is waiting for us and they see us brush it off as nothing important and they see us when we grab hold of it like it's the only thing that matters. And I wonder how often they're rooting for us. Please don't make that decision. Please don't say that. Please don't do that. Please go, please follow this path. You don't know what you're walking away from. They've seen all of this. They watched Christ step off of his throne, leave eternity, and become a man. They watched him walk the earth, and they watched him celebrate as he walked out of that grave. Now, there's a man that was living in Jerusalem at that time. This is one of those stories that it's in, it's in, the, it's in Luke, and people pass it over all the time. It's just like this weird detail. But to me, this is amazing. This is not a priest. This is just a man living in Jerusalem. His name is Simeon. He was an old man, and he was spoken at some point in time in his life. God spoke to him through the Spirit and gave him a prophecy that he would not die before he saw the Messiah. So one day, he was led by the Spirit to the temple. And this is what the passage tells us. Starting in verse 27, it says, So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he looked up, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now are you, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your own word. Listen to this. For my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all the peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory, your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother seemed a little confused. My eyes have seen your salvation. You notice he didn't say, 
my eyes have seen the Messiah. That wording is amazing. My eyes have seen your salvation. And notice he didn't just say to Israel. He said to the Gentiles. He knew what God's plan was. That child would be, was, and remains today our only source of salvation. There is a terrible truth that we as Christians so often refuse to embrace because it's ugly, the world doesn't like it, it makes us seem um, uh, uh, elitist, and sometimes we just, we just let it go and becomes not part of our conversation, but it is so important, and I want to say it to you today, every other faith is wrong. There is no other way to forgiveness and heaven. All roads don't lead to heaven. All roads don't lead to, lead to goodness. There is one door, one way, one person, one forgiveness, one truth, and that is Christ, him born, crucified, and risen. That's it. So when we refuse to talk to other people about the one way into heaven, we're slamming a door of eternity in their face. And we're forgetting that the simplicity of the message of the child born at Christmas is that God put the plan into action. He has opened the door to eternity. Forgiveness is available to us. Redemption is available to us. Forgiveness of sin is available to us if we would just believe in the child. But so often... We want to believe in our system. That system is not good enough. But the child is. I told you there was a third gospel that I think had a fantastic, fantastic single verse that I think sums up the entire Christmas story and almost all the gospels. That comes from John chapter 1, verse 14. Listen to this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. So simple. We can make it so uh, complex. We can make it so overwhelming and so overbearing. We can talk to to people about the details of their life and how they need to get this in order in that in order but the reality is the word became flesh and walked among us can we focus on that